Hi everyone, welcome to the Shout Out Pod channel. I'm your host, Dina Lamy. As you all know, I'm on a mission to speak with and share incredible journeys of people pushing and breaking down barriers, creating a space for themselves, whether it is a business venture, the sporting arena, or adventure seekers. I want to know the inspiration and motivation behind the dream. And in the face of adversity, how do they overcome challenges? This is part two of a special segment called Spotlight on Lebanon, Life and the Aftermath. As you all know, on August 4th, there was an explosion followed by a second blast of 2,750 tonnes of ammonium nitrate, bringing Beirut port to its knees. The country, before the explosion and COVID, has been going through political unrest and deep economic crisis, having an effect on the people. So how do the people of Lebanon heal through past and ongoing trauma? The aim of the special segment, Spotlight on Lebanon, is to ensure that people outside of Lebanon understand what's going on in the aftermath and how it's affecting the people and how we can help. So today my guest is entrepreneur Tadeya Talib, the founder of Lion Inc. Food and Beverage Consultancy Firm and the founder of Yalla Havidi Clothing Line. We will be discussing her life in uh, China, her experience in Lebanon during COVID and the life pre, during and post Beirut explosion and is now working on a initiative helping to rebuild Beirut restaurants that were impacted by the explosion through her Yala Habibi clothing line. She's working together with Rebuild Beirut. So, Tereya, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing good. Thank you. Thank you for hosting me today. Thank you very much for joining us. How's lockdown been for you guys at the moment? To be honest with you, like where I live, in my hometown it's almost not there like people are going in and out but I'm personally like staying in my house just going out when I need to get something you know like with my mask and stuff but to be honest with you in the north of Lebanon it's like no one like follows the regulations or rules and there's no one to enforce them anyways from the government we've always been like segregated on our own you know in this part of the country but when you talk about other cities or other towns, like I was in Beirut a few days ago, it's like ghost town, but it's not yeah. just from the lockdown. It's also because everyone is frustrated. You know, most of the places are destroyed, like Jemaize, Maranchayel, Ashrafiye, lots of other places, Quarantina. People's houses are still destroyed till today. Shops, restaurants, anything, like a lot of places are still like in rubble. Although the people have done a very good job uh, cleaning the streets, now you can find cars going in and out of the damaged areas. Uh, you can actually walk around. They're rebuilding. Everyone is like working super fast. But, but still, like, so what I'm trying to say, it's not like a full lockdown. Mm-hmm. Even though at 6 p.m. everyone is at home, but still, like, I don't know I, I, how how they're trying to figure out this whole Corona thing. If it's a lockdown, it's a lockdown. You know, this is how I see yeah. it. Yeah. But what they're doing, it's uh, I think it's more like a political war. It's like the people against the government now. <laughs> You've also got you understand lockdown and the necessity of it because you lived in China, so you yeah. you understand what's going on. You understand the precautions. So maybe I was you there can... during the peak of the outbreak. Right. Well, then there you go. Yeah. yeah. I was like, literally before the official lockdown in my city, like I left one day before the official lockdown. But that at home for 12 days, like they just told us it was not an official lockdown. Like there was no police outside telling you go go home or you go to jail. But the government sent us all like circulars and stuff. Please stay home. There's something dangerous. We still, we still don't understand because that was in January and the virus like first popped up in December, like 19th of December was the first case in Wuhan. 
But I live in Hangzhou, which is a little bit far. And at the same time, it's very advanced, you know, like they act really quickly. So I just left because my parents were, were like kind of worried because I was there mm. in China on my own and we didn't know anything what's happening or what's coming next. There was so much uncertainty. Otherwise, I had so much faith in whatever action and reaction was going to happen there. And actually, this is what happened. My city went under full lockdown. Yeah. Two weeks only. Two weeks only. 14 days exactly. Full lockdown. And then they started reopening again with, of course, very strict procedures and measures, you know, using apps, using tracking systems, where you've been before, whom you have contacted, everything's scientifically done. And they've been back to normal since a a few months already, like schools opened in April. They were going to classes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything is wow. Is okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. That's yeah, in so... my city because it was less less affected because they took action really early on. You know. Yeah. 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 Wuhan was the um, was the Wuhan. Part, Wuhan yeah. was under lockdown for almost five months, I think. Or yeah. Then, yeah. Why don't you talk to us a bit about your background? What is life for today, Itala, before, I mean, like, how did you make the move to China, I guess? And what was your life before that? Actually, Thraya before China is way different than Thraya after China. That's for sure. I'm Lebanese. I'm 100% Lebanese. But I was born and raised in Saudi. So I was okay. in Saudi Arabia for 26 years. And I did my bachelor's degree there. I worked there. My family still lives there. And then um, when I was like 26 years old, I moved to Jordan to do my master's degree. And I did my MBA and worked as well. I lived in Amman for six years. And the last two years I was in Jordan, like I heard a voice in my head. Actually, it was like September 2015. I heard a voice in my head telling me, go to China. Something big is waiting for you there. And I was like, all right, who's talking to me now? (laughs) Yeah. And literally, I went to the office because like it happened in the morning when I was getting ready to go to work. I went to my office and I opened my laptop. I was like, okay, how about living in China and stuff? And I found out or I figured out that I need to study Chinese. So I just called the Chinese language center. and I was like, hey, do you have a Mandarin classes coming up? And they were like, yeah, we're starting today if you want to join. I was like, okay, I'm doing that. So I just signed up for Chinese classes. I fell in love with the language. I went for a visit first in 2016 in summer. And I fell in love more with the country. I was like, yeah, I can do it. I tried to stay in Jordan. I tried to stay, you know, like get my head out of China, but I couldn't, like I couldn't sleep eventually. I tried going for a job or college, nothing worked, you know, like it was just getting too complicated. Eventually, I just signed up for Chinese classes, packed my bag, sold my car, shut down my company there and booked a one-way ticket to China. And uh, that was the um, biggest and craziest step I've done in my life, but it's the best one. It's definitely the best one. Yeah, it sounds very drastic. I mean, even closed down your company to, to move over yeah, to China. Yeah. Sold so, my car. Left. I, I had an own house. Like my parents own a house, the apartment I was living in, you know. So I had everything. And I just dropped everything. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go to China and figure it out. You know, I'm like, I'm going to go for four months, six months. If I don't like it, I'll come back. You know, it's like I can always come back to the Middle East. And eventually I was like, no, I like it here. I'm going to stay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how long have you been living in China? Two and a half years before Corona hit and I had to go. But yeah. I still have like, I literally left with nothing, you know, like I just packed a few things just considering, okay, I'm going to be away for a few weeks. It's like a vacation. And I left my paperwork, my certificates, my MBA degree, everything is back in China. Like all my clothes, all my accessories. 
all of my stuff. But I know that I'm going to go back at some point, of course. Okay. And when you got to China, you created a company or, or did you just restart something? The first year I was there, I was kind of exploring the country, traveling around, um, learning the language, of course. I was still signed up for language classes. And it happened that I was asked by a TV channel based in Dubai to film a show about my life in China. So I also like did that kind of gig. Yeah. yeah. And we filmed like 10 episodes. Super cool experience. So it'd be more chance to explore the culture, you know, like because every episode is about something about the culture in China. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. And the year, the next year, like the year after I immediately signed up for my company, you know, it's the same business that I was doing in Jordan, FMB Consulting, Leon. I just registered it there, got my paperwork done, and I started working. And funny thing is that I was the person teaching everyone what F&B consulting means because no one knows the meaning except if you're actually in the industry. It was a tough start, to be honest with you. And at the beginning, I was alone. Mm-hmm. I was solo. And a while after, okay, I started getting projects. I was able to hire on a partner and, and a second partner. So we became a small startup. And 2020 was supposed to be a very, very big year. (laughs) (laughs) 2020 had other plans. Yeah. Yeah. But I always say there's always like, Allah in Arabic, which means God doesn't close one door without opening a new one. So here I am in Lebanon. The first time I live in my country, I've been here for like six, seven months now. And I'm actually living in my hometown for the past three four months, three and a half months almost. I'm loving staying here because actually it's summer. It's nice. It's pretty. Like I have my own garden. I have my own vegetables and fruits and stuff. I go down to my farm kind of, you know, like I pick up my cucumbers for my breakfast in the morning. So it's different from living in Hangzhou, skyscrapers and technology and metros to living in my village in Akkar. But I really love it. It's a good change. And as you said, uh, we came up with the idea of utilizing the brand Yalla Habibi, which was already existing, and we want to do something to help the country now. So you came back to Lebanon just for a holiday, and then you got caught up with the COVID. And then, obviously, then the explosion on the 4th of August had happened. Where were you during the explosion? I was, I was here in my hometown. I was so, okay. super far. That's okay. fortunate for me, but unfortunately, a lot of my friends were affected because I have so many friends in Beirut. Yeah, either they got injured or they lost their cars or they lost their houses or they lost someone like one of their family members and stuff. I mean, everyone got affected. Every single Lebanese human being has been murdered at some point. You know, we all Mm. got killed. Like we used to say we're the happiest depressed people. We are the most depressed people in the world now. I can't even explain. People are miserable even us, like people who are super far, like we did not get affected physically or emotionally or whatever. We didn't see anything. We didn't even feel the, the explosion like people in the coastal cities around us. But still, like I think every Lebanese human who is like patriotic and they love the country for what it is, we all like we, we cried for at least a week. Yeah, I mean, it's an emotional scarf for the people of, of Lebanon course. because they've already gone through so much. And, and it's going to take to have us too much, too much time to recover from this trauma, all of us. So even before the explosion, I mean, Lebanon, even in October, was going through its own turmoil, you know, with the, trying to get the government to stand down and with all the protests. And then obviously with COVID, it meant that people couldn't be on the streets to protest. 
But in the course, meantime, there's, money has there's been hyperinflation, in hyperinflation yes. as well, you know, just trying to buy the, the bare necessities, just like basic food and water has become very expensive and very exactly. difficult just for the people. I had part one of this segment, I was speaking to Aziza Beatty, and she was in Beirut and she was telling me what it was like for her. But like I think like you said, it doesn't really matter where you are based. If you are Lebanese and you you know, you're part of the country, because of the history, it's just like another trauma being added on. And the government isn't helping either, you know. So like you said, like it's the people that have been cleaning up the streets with the rubble, with the dead bodies and the, with the hurt people. But the government did step down, well, they're still in power, I understand, until the, new, until the elections, but they stepped down. You're just waiting for the president to step down. So you've been very vocal on Instagram when you showed the protests and you showed what was going on in Beirut. So I just wanted to get your perspective on what's going on in the political landscape. To be honest with you, I think what, what the majority of Lebanese want now is, is not just for the government to step down. It's more like for the whole system to be changed. Because we don't we don't want the same system because the problem is with the roots of the of the political system that we have in Lebanon that's been implemented since uh, what the independence I call it dinosaur constitution because it doesn't work for us now it's like what 18 years old now and we're still we're still following the same as with the sectorism segregation you know the president has to be I don't know what religion the prime minister has to be I don't know what religion and I mean. Like there are many qualified people, like who might yeah. even not ex- not follow any religion, and they will still be more qualified to take that kind of role instead of being a president and sleeping in their palace while people are still dying and still missing under the rubble. And they did nothing. They didn't even like the president of France for fucking sake came to Lebanon to see us and. Our president, he's, he was sleeping in his castle, you know, like he literally didn't even go down to the floor, like help people. Like, I mean, like this is this is the biggest crisis in, in modern history in the world. It's not just a Lebanese crisis. Like there, there are many nationalities of I as well. It's not just Lebanese people getting injured. It's not like a civil war or something. It's, yeah. it's an explosion caused by negligence and corruption of our government and our political system. Because they put the wrong people in the places, like in, in decision-making places, because they're politically affiliated with someone or like family or cousins or whatever. But they're not actually qualified for that position, whether a poor manager or whether it's even even if a janitor is not qualified to be a janitor, you cannot put that person in a janitor position, you know. So um, I think the problem is with uprooting the whole system is the government stepping down because... When I was talking about getting Saad al-Hariri back, I mean, Saad al-Hariri has been like, what, on and off in Lebanon as a prime minister for 15 years and he's done nothing for us. Uh, the same thing for whoever is leading. I'm not going to mention names in specific because I'm, ga- I'm against all of them. When I say Kilon Yani Kilon, I mean Kilon Yani Kilon, all of the political parties in Lebanon. And in the protests, another thing that happened is that at some point we were standing peacefully. We were not doing anything, at least a million people in the protest on Saturday, August 8th, because we were all frustrated with this, you know, like it's our people died, you know, they got murdered mm. just now, you know, um, like the way the government reacted to the protest instead of actually absorbing our anger, they started throwing at us 
tear gas from right and center. So at some point we started running around like crazy. Like we, we didn't know where to go. We, didn't, we weren't able to breathe. They were shooting real uh, bullets uh, at people. They were shooting rubber bullets. I think you've seen that uh, on the media and stuff. Instead of, ab- of absorbing the problem, they caused more problems, you know? So it's, it's just insane. And so with your Yala Habibi line, you're going to be uh, working together with Rebuild Beirut and the proceeds of the T-shirt will go towards rebuilding the restaurants. The restaurants affected. So to be honest, Yala Habibi started in China. At the beginning, it started because I was teaching by chance, my friends, they know. Yalla Habibi, and they loved it, and they kept repeating it, and it became a lifestyle. It became a common, you know, tagline. Like even like my Chinese lawyer would call me Habibi. You know, she would send me an email, dear Habibi. And when they want to say a group, they would say Habibis. Like, like our Habibis are going to somewhere, you know. And Habibi, if there's something a Habibi style, you know, like an event happening that's fun, worth going to. It just started like that for my community, and we made T-shirts just for fun. And um, we sold out. So um, we kind of became a lifestyle brand there. It did become a lifestyle brand. I saw it on Instagram. I loved it when you were filming everyone saying, Yala Habibi. And uh, yeah. you had your group of friends and you had individuals around China uh, just saying, Yala Habibi. And it was, it's a simple term yeah. in, in Arabic. Exactly. But when you are teaching someone a little bit of Arabic, that's pretty much one of the first things that you say. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, like Chinese people, they never heard the word. And I even had to translate it to them in Chinese, you know, like, you know, like, come on, baby. And like, let's go, baby. <laughs> so I had to tell the story behind it all the time. But at the end, you know, like people know me now, like literally the other day in China, of course, before Corona and lockdowns and stuff, I met a random person. I was like, oh, you're the Allah Habibi girl, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and like they didn't know my name they know Yalla Habibi now <laughs> so after a week of the explosion or 10 days maybe after we stopped crying because at some point I was like you know I need to do something I can't I can't keep being miserable I'm not that kind of person so I started thinking how can I help my country unfortunately I am not based in Beirut so I, I could not go down and help with the cleanup and the actual hard work and stuff but at the same time I have my connections. I'm a food and beverage consultant. I realized as well that all the NGOs that are doing a marvelous job on the ground are helping rebuild houses, which is amazing. But since I work in the field, I know the pain that restaurants have been going through, especially that it's not only the blast, it's also the lockdowns, the economic crisis, yeah. the high inflation, people's inability to go out and spend as much as before. Uh, lack of tourism, lack of the ability of expats, Lebanese expats coming back home for holidays or summer vacation. So there is so many factors affecting restaurants that are not only the, the, the blast or the glass being broken and stuff. Restaurants have been struggling for a few months already. And that's also like something proven by owners of restaurants that I spoke to. And they were like, it's not just, I, I don't want someone to just build my, my window back or something. I don't even have the money to operate. And mm-hmm. the difference between any business and restaurant is that in restaurants, you need the money before you can provide the service. In any business, you provide the service and then you get the money. So you don't need the money first. Like if you're a bookstore or like if you're a shop, you just sell a product to get your money. 
if you're a restaurant, you need to buy new material, raw material, you know, the ingredients for your food, you need to buy equipment, a replacement for the things that, that have been damaged. So all of this kind of stuff, and it's going to take a while for, for them to recover. I need to highlight a point talking about restaurants and like how Jumeizi and Madam Khayel are the touristic spots and stuff. Imagine if we didn't have Corona worldwide and imagine we didn't have an economic crisis and imagine we didn't have anything and it was summer and everyone was in Lebanon for tourism and the blast happened and everyone at 6 p.m. was going out for drinks or for shisha or for food or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Imagine yeah, how many people would have died. <clears throat> like restaurants were empty and we still had that many injuries. Yeah. So that's very true. Actually. I mean, at the same time. I, I, I don't know. I try to look at the positive side. No, yeah. absolutely. No, that's a good point that you made. It's a very good point. Yeah, it would have been at least a thousand deaths. I mean, Allah Hamon and of course, yeah. it's super sad for everyone who passed away. Even the people who saw that the trauma and they actually survived with wounds, with physical wounds, with emotional wounds and everything. But imagine if this happened during a regular good summer in Lebanon. I would have probably been one of the people affected because I'm always there. So yeah. um, the point is what we're doing for Yalla Habibi is that uh, we launched it on a platform, on a partnering platform with a friend of mine. And uh, 100% of the profits, we're not making a penny, 100% of the profits of the t-shirt are going to be donated to rebuild Bay at restaurants. So we're going to be taking each project, assessing the damages and figuring out how much time and how much money they need. And based on that, we collaborate with Rebuild Beirut, which is, who are part of Live Love Beirut uh, NGO. And uh, based on that, we start rebuilding these restaurants. And of course, we're trying to accommodate a small cash budget for them to be able to operate once they open. So if people wanted to find out, they can go on your Instagram, which is at Yalla Habibi. Or go on or the website um, www.yallahabibi.org. Perfect. Yeah, that's yeah. perfect. Yeah. And and they can find more information. There's also an option on the same platform where people can donate. So you can buy the t-shirt, but you can also donate more money because honestly, the t-shirt we didn't charge it that expensive because we don't want yeah, people no. to be intimidated. But at the same time, if you're willing to donate like ten dollars more, five dollars more, or even five hundred dollars more, there's a donation tab where you can click on a and every penny counts seriously. Like there are places that need more than hundred thousand dollars in, you know, just fixing the glass and um, whatever material yeah. that they have. And there are other places that need no more than ten thousand dollars. So any kind of support, and especially because people's money is stuck in banks. So even even successful individual restaurants who have been working really well for the past three or five years, the, the owner would be like, I want to fix my restaurant, but my money is stuck in bank, can't do anything. So uh, the problem is severe. <laughs> it's not just being able to afford fixing the restaurant or not. They, ca- they cannot get their money out. So this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to get fresh money from outside Lebanon. Our main target is, of course, sales for national customers from outside Lebanon, for my connections, for my friends, for my followers on Instagram as well. So I hope this works well. And once we start, of course, building on the ground, we're going to be updating everyone on social media that this is the status. This place was like this and now it's like this, you know, opening dates and everything. Yeah. I mean, there's also a lot of restaurants. So the port of Beirut is like pretty much the nightlife. So there'll be a, like a lot of restaurants. In fact, do you know a timeline or do you know how much the estimated 
damage cost would be or not yet? The damage, I think I read it the other day by a group called uh, Save Lebanese Hospitality. The damage in restaurants alone in F&B sector, not hospitality. We're not talking hotels. Yeah. In hospitality alone is $315 million. Oh. There is at least 30,000 families living off F&B businesses or stuff, like, if not more, I think. Even big hotels are affected. Even big five-star hotels. Phoenicia Hotel has been affected. Sheraton Hotel has been affected. Uh, not Sheraton, sorry. Four Seasons has been affected. All the hotels that overlook the sea have been mm-hmm. affected. And even, even the hotels, like even the big names or the big restaurants, even though they, they actually usually have the funds and the money, they are still struggling financially because of the inflation, the prices. And everyone is struggling, honestly. Yeah. Even the rich who want yeah. to fix their houses are struggling. So the matter is not just helping out a very small restaurant that's not making, it's not just that in successful brands not able to fix themselves now. Yeah, having your money stuck in the bank, so even if you're whether you're rich or not anymore, it doesn't really matter. You're all on a, you're all on the same the level same. now. Everyone Everyone's the, the same, same level. level now. When things do quieten down, do you expect to go back to China fairly quickly, or do you think you'll be staying in Lebanon for a bit? Well, before August four, I was between. Ah, oh, maybe I'll stay in Lebanon. Maybe I'll go back. But after August four, I am staying in Lebanon. Yeah, I am definitely staying in Lebanon. I'll be going. Um, of course, back and forth for my company and my paperwork in China and stuff, but I'm not going to be settling there. Um, oh, wow. So you're going to move back to, that's it, your, your base will now be permanently Lebanon and then you'll just Lebanon, go back and forth. Lebanon or like, I, I'll definitely have this in the Middle East because I am yeah. connected already and I've been working on a couple of things, but I do want to stay here. I do want to help my country. There is going to be an NGO being established to help support uh, local communities through food culture because we work in food as well. So uh, we want to focus on that aspect. We don't want to deviate, although we, we, de- we do appreciate like other initiatives and we support other NGOs and stuff, but that specific NGO will be set up for that. I'll be putting out information on my social media once it's ready, once it's out, how people can help us out. But I don't think to say for every Lebanese listening to us today, if everyone who's educated, secular, non-sectarian, not following any political party decides to leave the country. Whom are we leaving the country for? No, like we have to fight. This is our fight for the country. This is us. This is the generation who's going to build the country for our kids and grandkids. So if you don't stay here and try to do whatever we can, even if we struggle, even if we have to die, even if we have to like, you know, bleed or whatever you want to call it, it's our war against them. It's us people against them. It's no more like now the war is not Muslims against Christians or Shia against Sunni or whatever. No, it's us, the people, against the corrupt government. So either we fight and we make a difference or we just give up like whoever gave up 40, 50 years ago and they let the Shabiha fool around in our country and do whatever they've been doing for the past 45 years. There you go. Oh, today it's out of. I mean, you're you're on a you're a woman on a mission. So I love that, and this Thank is kind you. of why I wanted to talk to you because anyone who follows uh, today it's out of, it's on Instagram at today it's out of, It's got one word, but like you know, your Instagram is very powerful because you're always. It's like you, you've got such a powerful message to give at that time, and you know, and I'm sure you get 
responses, you know, positive or negative. You're very open and you're very, very honest about everything. But even like, you know, when you showed the video of you going for Yella Habibi down to the factory and he was doing the measurements, like I thought that was fantastic. And I think that's what that's what's really great when you're setting out an initiative for change or for rebuilding. It's like you're very transparent about everything, you know. And for me, that was very powerful. That's kind of why I really wanted to talk to you. So I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Um, I was I was going to ask you questions like how do you overcome challenges, but um, I think whatever <laughs> challenges you you come across, there's no way that's going to become a challenge. Um. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell I'll tell you something before before going to China I wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to answer, but after going to China I realized that I actually use sometimes that hashtag in my Instagram I'm a tsunami now, like literally whatever challenge I face financial mental psychological I even used to have of course I had anxiety attacks even in China you know like oh my god I'm gonna figure this out you know like oh I have to pay my rent and whatever I'm doing my startup and. I, so sometimes I'll be like, okay, relax, <laughs> drink some hot water. <laughs> because in China, they drink hot water there. I always try to reconnect with, with, with the mission inside of me. It's like, what is it that I'm doing here? I'm not here to, to do this. I'm here to do that. So let me focus on that thing. So when I start deviating my, my mind, so the challenge becomes easier. And even when it's a physical thing, like let's say I happen somewhere I have to go somewhere after traveling to China back and forth from Lebanon or from Jordan and stuff I don't feel it's any more of a trouble you know so um, okay I know what I need to get I need I know what I need to wear I know what I need to prepare myself for so I'm I'm always up for new challenges so it's not it's not a big deal for me to find the challenge you mentioned that today before China what was she like she was strong but not strong enough she was confident, but as confident as now. She was a little bit lost, know exactly what she wanted to do. She didn't know whether she's doing the right thing or not. Of course, especially with the part with deciding to move to China, like the first few months in China. At the same time, I didn't know like if I'm doing something right or wrong or like, am I a risk taker? Am I not a risk taker? Am I going to be able to face the challenges? You know, Even though I was already considered a strong woman because I've been through a lot of uh, personal issues before, you know, like I even lived on my own for a while and I left my parents' house in 2011 to live in Jordan. And actually even in Jordan, it was the first time I experienced winter because I lived in Saudi in the desert. So January is like tanning time for us, you know, <laughs> and then to Jordan and the temperature would be minus seven in January. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> literally, I wouldn't know how to turn on, you know, the, the, the gas heater on and off. I had to call the, the, the landlord, you know, like, Hey, can you, can you come and help me fix this? So yeah, I was naive before everything that happened to me and then I grew into stronger women I became more independent but China made me realize that I'm way stronger than I was physically mentally emotionally business-wise everything even at some point like I remember one day we had a CrossFit workout I do CrossFit so we were supposed I was in China we were supposed to do a handstand and because I, have, I, had, I hadn't done CrossFit at the time for a while, so I was kind of, you know, like stiff and I wasn't able to do everything. So, like, I tried a couple of times to do a handstand. And at some point, I stood up. I was like, Treya, 
if you can move to China on your own, you can do a freaking handstand now. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so literally, it worked. <laughs> oh, like your pet talk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and one day I was uh, participating in Spartan Race also in China. So I mean, like even these things that happened to me there, like even small fun activities that I happened to join because they were available. I did the Spartan Ways first time. I didn't know what I was participating in. I knew what it is. Like, you know, like theoretically, I know what it is. I've never joined yeah. it. I, had, I hadn't been working out properly before. So I was like doing the Spartan Race. And like halfway through, I was like, whoa, I am way stronger than I thought I was, you know? <laughs> you really are tsunami now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, I had a client call me Samurai. <laughs> but yeah, that, that, there you go. That's more, that, that, that's better. Yeah. very sharp very to the point you know you yeah, exactly, exactly what you're executing <laughs> exactly <laughs> so that was that I had before no, that, that's great I mean like, there's always a theme because like anyone that I've spoken to on the podcast it's always there's always been a moment where they've come to like a um, a crossroad where it's like where is my life going from here and, and like you said like for your own experience like they had they put everything on the line for that next step it's almost like a faith. You're, you're only purely going on faith, blind faith. Do you know what yes, I mean? Yes, just gut feeling. There is, yeah, exactly. There is no security. You don't know where you're going to end up. And I think I didn't have a job. Right. I didn't have a house. I was there. You go. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, but all of that, you you can see like that was exactly your right path. You know, like yeah. You listen to your I knew I did the right decision. Yeah. And I think this period right now, like, for example, during COVID, if we can be more general, everyone is almost going through that, where they're looking at their lives and they're saying, what am I doing with my, with my life? What is my exactly. purpose? Am I happy if tomorrow was not to come? Like, would I be happy in the way I live my life? And I think a lot of people coming out of lockdown are going to be making a lot of drastic changes within their lives, whether it's financial, whether it's health-wise, whether it's their career whether it's family, do you know what I mean? You see a exactly. lot of people taking this opportunity. Re exactly, reevaluating everything. If you're not going to reevaluate it now, then when are you going to reevaluate it, you know? Because so, you're yeah. staying at home anyway, like. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we're stuck at home, but also, you know, you, you've got more time to really think about it. You know, you're, you're away exactly. from the people you love, you know, so you're very isolated, which means you spend a lot of time in your head. And a lot of people, will be going through anxiety at one stage or another, no matter how comfortable you are, no matter, you know, you're always, you're going to have that moment of anxiety where you of course. to change everything in your life. Of course. I had the same when I was in China, when I was like stuck at home for 12 days before I came here. Like I had moments of anxiety, uncertainty, like, okay, if I'm not going to make any money because I'm a business owner. So if I'm not making the money, how am I going to pay for rent? How, it's not like I'm waiting for a salary by the end of the day. So it was it was insane as well. So anxiety, panic attacks, depression, it's all normal. The only thing that we need to do is actually either seek help when we need it or when yeah. we feel we can need it or we can use it or try to meditate, you know, try to calm ourselves by ourselves if we can. Of course, in extreme cases, attention is more important than that. I was actually going to ask you, I mean, it's a very loaded question. I'm not expecting you to answer for everyone, but... PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder in Lebanon right now, okay? They're going to have a lot of healing to go through, not just this trauma, but it would have brought up trauma from the past as well. And that stays with a person. That's, a, that's an emotional scar. 
that will always stay with someone no matter what but when it's ongoing trauma in at the moment are there any ngos or any kind of organizations in lebanon that is working with people when it comes to ptsd yes of course there is actually if you follow any of the groups like rebuild lebanon rebuild beirut Saurit Lebanon, uh, what else? Like there are a couple of groups on Facebook and of course, like so many accounts on social media, on Instagram and stuff. The, there's so many psychiatrists, NGOs, there's so many mental health centers offering their services for free. Some of them are specialized with children. They're like, okay, we're going to be talking to children. We're going to be working with you on that. And even some international consultants, to be honest. I have seen posts from international uh, therapists and stuff posting uh, like whoever wants to do a Zoom call, we can talk about it. We can talk about the experience and how we can go through the journey of healing. At the same point, I did mention earlier in our talk that there's so much trauma that I don't think it's only a mental health professional can fix that. It has to be a drastic transformation in the country for us to feel, okay, I know I got bummed that I lost my arm, but I know that something will happen for my country at least. So if that doesn't happen, I don't think we're going to ever recover. And that includes people like me, whom we were not at the blast. We were not affected directly. I am one of the people who, if I hear something now, like if I hear any any kind of loud noise, noises or if I see a small fire or whatever, I'm like, oh, you know, like I'm all stressed out. And I put myself in the shoes of these people. Whenever I see videos of kids in the blast, like, like there were so many videos circulating of, of yeah. kids with their nannies or kids with their parents and stuff. And I know my own friends. Like, I know people who had their kids as well. So when I put myself in the shoes of the parents or the moms, I'm like, I don't know what these moms are going to be doing. Like the other day in Beirut, I was meeting with a lady who had her kid injured in the, in the blast. He was like eight. And he called her and she opened the speaker and he was like just crying. Like, what if something happens to me now? Like, this is like three weeks after the blast. Yeah, yeah. going to be traumatized for the rest of his life, for sure, because what happened is simple. Yeah, it's still very raw. And this is why I want to do this segment, because in the news at the moment, mainstream news, they'll cover the blast, but they're not going to cover the aftermath. And I think it's very important to... We need to keep talking to, about that. Exactly. We, we can't have it die down, because... It's not the government that is helping with the rebuild of Beirut. Okay, so this is why I want everyone to understand. It is not the government. They're actually halting. They actually, you know what they did? You know what they did a few few days ago? They announced that only volunteers with a specific license can go into Jambazi and Marim Khail and help rebuild the houses. Imagine. They're not doing anything in our favor. No. They're like coming up with weird decisions and stuff, you know? Yeah, so, and, and, this is, and this is why this segment is so important because... It's for everyone that's listening. The government is not helping the people of Beirut or Lebanon, okay? But they're not going to be rebuilding Beirut. This is down to the people, the NGOs, our support and our donations. So whatever we can do, even if you can't donate, just share the donation pages. Even if you cannot donate, I know this can be a difficult time for everyone right now. Exactly. Who have lost their jobs, whatever. You know, the, le- the very least we can do is just share the donation pages put it on your social media, talk about it, because if we're relying in terms of, oh, well, the government in Lebanon will help, they're not, you know? They're not, they're not. Actually, they're going to find ways to rip us off. They try to buy the houses at cheap prices from the people. As I heard, uh, some of the donations being sent from abroad, they're being stolen at the airport. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I want to emphasize something you were saying. 
for everyone who's hearing us now, who's listening, please do not donate a penny for any government institute. Do not donate for any embassy because embassies by the end of the day are related to the government. So whatever you can do, do it directly uh, throughout any of the reliable NGOs like Impact Lebanon, like Shabi Masuliyati, mm-hmm. like Live Love Beirut or uh, Live Love Rebuild Beirut. Uh, Red Cross Lebanon, of course, um, because they are the most people who need support right now. At the same time, try to find reliable sources to send them any donations that you have. But again, the most important thing, do not send anything through the government. Yeah. And I've got a couple of links on my Instagram bio. If you press the link, I've got a couple of charities that you can donate there as well. Let's move on to some lighter, uh, a lighter topic. <laughs> yalla, yalla, habibi, yalla. Yalla, habibi. <laughs> right. Let's do the uh, 10 rapid fire questions and uh, okay. end it on a, on a lighter note. Uh, they're very simple. Like, for example, what is your favorite word? My favorite word? Yalla mm-hmm. Habibi. <laughs> oh, what is uh, your least favorite word? Cabbage. Cabbage? Because I hate cabbage. It's my least favorite thing on earth. What turns you on? Oh, a guy who cooks well. Nice. What turns <laughs> you off? A person who's sloppy, who doesn't know what they want in their life. What sound or noise do you love? The birds in the morning. Or evening. Like here in Lebanon, it's like morning time, Maghrib time. It's gorgeous. What sound or noise do you hate? Slurping or making noises when you're eating. Although in China, I had to survive with it because everyone does that. It's part of their culture. But I'm like, (laughs) don't kill anyone. Don't kill anyone. You know, like I'm I'm talking to myself like, please don't murder him. (laughs) I know, I know. Yeah. What's your favorite swear curse word? Oh, I can't say it. You can. I all I always say something. Oh, <laughs> 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 I think everyone I know who speaks Arabic says that pretty much. Actually, I taught it to my four friends. <laughs> <laughs> you, you would see someone be like walking around and go like Sharmuta. <laughs> yeah, and and that, that's a word that they'll always remember though. Isn't it? Very <laughs> that and Yalla Habibi. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? A belly dancer. <laughs> Can you belly dance? Yeah. Oh, uh, I can't. What profession yeah. would you not like to do? Oh, anything with finance or banking. Never, like, whatever. Yeah, no, 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 like, big no. I love numbers. Okay. Mm. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates? Definitely, he would be saying, Ya Habibi. <laughs> Today, uh, you've been amazing. Thank you so much Thank for your you. time and for everything that you just shared thank you so much we really appreciate it thank you for your time as well and for hosting me here and i will have um all the information to um follow today and also her yalla habibi initiative and with rebuild beirut as well um all of their details will be uploaded on the information box so thank you very much everyone for listening um please like subscribe and like i said if you can't donate please share on social media all the highlighted charities and NGOs that we've mentioned here. So thank you very much. Thank you so much.